Would you please uh, join me as uh, we pray for the preached word, but also for, for Pastor Blair as he's, as he's uh, traveling this week. Let's pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, uh, you've uh, given us, you revealed us uh, your will. Uh, Lord, I pray as we get to expound upon your word, Lord, I pray that we are submissive to your, your word. Your word is truth. Your word is our food. Um, thankful for what we've been able to sing so far. And uh, as we've uh, read your word, I pray that you continue to bless this service. I pray for Pastor Blair as he's uh, ministering to his mother this weekend, Lord. I pray that he is uh, able to, to help her greatly. I'm thankful for him and his uh, about to, to honor his, his mother. And uh, I pray for him as he's traveling back this week. I pray for protection for him in the inclement weather. And I'm thankful for him and his continued ministry to, to us as a church body. Again, Lord, we come to you uh, humbly uh, by your word. Um, feed us. Uh, continue to clothe us in your righteousness, O Christ. Holy Spirit, open up our minds and our hearts. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So in our house, we have lots of Play-Doh. Lots of different colors of Play-Doh. Unfortunately, we have those little crumbles of dried Play-Doh on the floors and carpets of our house. And what often happens, and those of you who are parents and grandparents know, is kids like to mix Play-Doh colors together. You may have a, a lump of red Play-Doh in one container, then a lump of blue Play-Doh in another container. And what inevitably happens is the kids often mix these Play-Dohs together every time. And once they are done, once the mixing is done, you can't separate that again. It has become a, a purplish, greenish, brownish lump of Play-Doh. And these two different lumps of vibrant color have become one inseparable lump. These two bodies, if you will, have become one in terms of color, one inseparable body. Now, I've heard this often in recent times, and it would have to be recent times because this has been a foreign and unfathomable concept to the churches for over 1,900 years. I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. Come to Jesus, not the church. Now, these are at best misguided statements, at best. Why is that? Because you cannot, you cannot separate Christ from his church. Just like those two lumps of Play-Doh are now an inseparable unit, Christ and his church are an inseparable unit. The church is the bride, the wife of Christ. And because of this, Christ and his church are one body. He is the head and we as his church are his body. Now, of course, there are several groups and institutions out there that claim the name of church, but are far from being his bride. Anybody can lie and say, hey, I'm married to so-and-so, when in actuality they're not married or married to another woman. So not all that call themselves churches are what they claim to be. Many of you have been dramatically hurt by such institutions. But as we see throughout the New Testament, there are certain elements that mark a true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> but this teaching 
Christ in the church. However, it's not an abstract concept. God has given us a tangible, visible picture of this relationship. What is it? The marriage of one man and one woman. Just like some groups and institutions can claim to be a church, some folks can claim that their relationship to another, to someone else, is a marriage. But a claim doesn't make something true. But God has given us a picture of his relationship to his people. We have several pictures, but a picture of the union, of, of the marriage union of Christ and the church. So please turn with me as we look into Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 5. Verses 22 through 33. Now, some of the times I've preached here over the past two years, you've noticed that we've been, gone through several scattered portions of the letter to the Ephesians. It's been kind of scattered and, and piecemeal over this time, but you can gather from this uh, gather from this letter that, like the rest of the letters of the New Testament, you have a, a unified theme. And in this case, it is the union between Christ and the church that was planned before the foundation of the world uh, from Ephesians 1. And then and this union is, includes Jews and Gentiles as the one people of God in between 1 and chapter 5. So every section we go through in Ephesians, we mean to have this in mind, that God has one plan before creation to redeem a people of Jews and Gentiles to be one, his one people, his So if you don't have a Bible, would you please open up the uh, Pew Bible in front of you to page 978. Now, I'm going to have to confess, this passage is is really too beautiful for me to preach. I, I won't do it justice. But I will do my best to just display this beautiful painting to you. So in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33, The Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, explains Christ's love for the church's bride, the church's submission to Christ, her husband, and then we'll see how we model this relationship in our own marriages and in our Christian life. But first, Christ loves his church. Now let's look at verses 25 to 33 first. Now, why? Why are we looking at verses 25 to 33 first? Because this is the dominant section of this passage, and what precedes it builds from it. So let's look at verses 25 through 33. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So Paul gives a striking command to husbands here. Love your wives. Well, that's simple enough. I wouldn't have married her if I didn't love her. 
So no big deal, right? Well, let's look at the description of the love that Paul lays out for her. Love her as Christ loved the church. Okay, well, I know something about that. Kind of sweating bullets here. You mean to tell me that like Christ loved the church? Well, I have an idea of what you mean here, Paul, but can you uh, clarify? How did he love the church? Look at verse 25. He gave himself up for her. He died for her. He suffered the wrath of God for her. He bled and was shamed for her. He paid the penalty for her sin. And why did he do this? Well, look at verse 26. So that, so that he may sanctify her. So that, in other words, he may call her as his own. To draw her as his only lover. To cleanse her from her filth with the water, with the word. A reference here to, to baptism, what this promises through that. It, it is sealing of us. At our baptism, he is the actor and we are the recipient. He showed the world and the rest of the church the picture of his washing of us of our sin and raising us to life. It's our individual wedding ceremony, if you will. He sealed us with the promise of his word and his vow to always be our Lord and our Savior and our Beloved. But look again, another, so that he's washed us, washed his church with his word, washed us in all these symbols. But Paul keeps adding to this. Look at verse 27. That he might present his bride in all her beauty, all her purity, all her holiness. That is his promise to us. That her beauty, our beauty, would radiate through the heavenly so that the angels are even mesmerized by her. Okay, all right. By the way, back to you husbands. Not only are you to love your wives as Christ loves the church, but look at, look at verse 28. Love them as your own bodies, your own self. Everybody loves themselves. There is no command in Scripture to love yourself, by the way. It's, it's self-evident. Everybody does. We, we feed our bodies. We seek the comfort of our bodies. We do some exercise and eat healthy for our bodies. And Jesus does that for his body, the church. So how does he do this? All this talk about the church as the bride of Christ, but he also says it is the body of Christ. How can it be both the bride of Christ and the body of Christ? Well, it's already explained here, but look, let's look further. Notice what the Holy Spirit through Paul says here, what he does. He quotes Genesis 2-4. We read that previous in, in the beginning of the uh, service today. Look at verse 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. All right, so this biblical reference follows Adam and Eve's story when God placed Eve to be Adam's wife, and from Adam and Eve, a man was to leave his father and mother and be joined, united bound to his wife. The two fleshes have become one flesh, one body. Now, there's a depth there that as long as the longer you are married, the more you understand. Though not fully understand, but the more you understand. And for those of you who have lost spouses over the years, you understand this a little bit more than the rest of us, don't you? But the two have become one. Which, again, may be why Paul 
hammers so hard on sexual immorality in the previous passage in chapter 5 because of the egregious, blasphemous, and vile action that adultery is. It's vile because it violates the great symbol of Christ in the church. But it's interesting that he quotes Genesis 2-4. And we are not alone being struck by the depth of this statement here. So, so was Paul. He said in verse 32, this mystery is profound. Well, you can say that again. It is quite profound. But look here. Look at his brief commentary on Genesis 2-4. He said, this text refers to Christ and the church. Okay, so, so which is it? Is the text Genesis 2-4 about a man and his wife, or is it about Christ and the church? Yes. The answer is yes. How can it be both? Because marriage was designed with a deeper meaning than just the companionship of lovers. One meaning with two deep layers. It represents something deeper, something we'll learn more and more for all eternity. These earthly marriages we have will be over one day, but the eternal marriage of Christ and his bride is eternal. But they paint a picture. So husbands are to love their wives in the same way. As I'm reading this, I'm thinking, oh, goodness. I don't know if any of you, like me, any of you husbands, I don't think there's a day which I have ever achieved this. Never. I get it, kind of, but I have failed miserably at this every day. But it's okay. You know why? Because I go back to verse 25. What did Christ do for me? He gave himself up for me. He died for my sin. I am a part of the bride of Christ, therefore I am his beloved. I am saved only by faith in the risen Christ. I am his beloved by his grace through faith. And he is sanctifying me. He is sanctifying us. He is praying for me. He is praying for us as church. And he will one day bring us all, all that are in Christ, to perfect holiness. And because I know my beloved, my beloved knows me Because of this, out of the thanksgiving for his grace, I want to emulate him in every area of my life in response to his abundant grace. And that includes my marriage. And that includes my individual life as a church member, as individual life as a Christian out in the world. And I hope this is all of our attitudes as well. But husband, think think about how Christ has led you. You did not pursue him. He pursued you. Christ always provides for his church, Big C Church. He makes sure the gates of Hades will not prevail over her. He protects her from eternal danger. He protects you from spiritual danger. Christ never leaves or abandons his bride. He doesn't leave her for another. He doesn't divorce his bride. He loves her. He woos her. He is attentive to her at all times. He doesn't neglect her ever. He's not apathetic to her. He is there for her 24-7. He loves all people, as we should. But there's something different about his love for his bride. Just like there's something different about your love for your wife that you don't have for others. 
Your wife should be the apple of your eye. So husbands, we, we have a high calling. And listen, your wife's submission is not for you to enforce. In fact, that command for her is none of your business anyway. Your command is to love and to cherish her and her alone. And notice this passage doesn't command husbands to be heads over their wives or demand authority over her. The husband as head is your role. It is the indicative. It is not the imperative. You fulfill your role as head by loving her as described in this passage. You are commanded to love and she is commanded to follow your lead. So what does this look like? Well, when a a major decision for the family comes, do you consider your wife's thoughts? Do you sacrifice her for your career or do you sacrifice your career for her? Okay, so what does this look like in the day-to-day? Well, when you married her, you committed yourself to her sanctification, did you not? Was that not in your vows? Your main goal in your marriage is to help her grow in the Lord and to point her to the greater beloved, Jesus. So how often do you initiate spiritual conversations with her? How often do you talk about what you're reading in the Word? How often do you pray for her or even with her? Do you pray that she grows in the Lord? See, that, that should be the, the number one intercession you have for her in prayer. As husbands, we are to seek her welfare and protect her and make sure the family is taken care of. Now, this looks different in every, every family situation, but it's still the husband's responsibility. We need, we need God's grace every single day, husbands. You cannot do this apart from the grace of Christ. And we do this out of the grace of Christ. Not a white-knuckled, I'm going to do this. It is through the grace of Christ and remembrance of this gospel. So seek to build up your wife. And Paul closes in verse 33 with, Husbands ought to love their wives, and wives ought to honor their husbands. And that leads us to the, the next point here. The church honors Christ. Now, go back to verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the, Christ, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay, so why did we start in verse 25? Because it, it lays the theological foundation of what he said previously. And it highlights the higher responsibility of the husband. But look at verse 22. After Paul has just explained to the, to the church members how the church members are to submit to one another, meaning to put others above us, we submit to one another as a church body, as individual church members, we submit to one another. He moves now to the family unit. The church family of submitting to one another. Now to the nuclear family. The wives submit to their own husbands. As each church member is to submit to one another as to the Lord, wives are commanded to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord. 
In other words, you obey Christ by submitting to your husband. Now, in the modern Western world, this, is, this word is highly controversial. Another reason why we start in verse 25. To understand the wife's role, you have to understand the husband's. The husband is to emulate Christ's love for the church, uh, for, the wife, for his wife. There's no higher calling and command than this. Now, in response to that, the wives are to submit to the head of the union, the husband. As Christ is the head of his body, the, the bride, the church, the husband is the head of the wife. Christ is the head of the church. He is the authority in the church. We submit to him in all things. He is also the savior and guardian of the body. He redeemed her and watches over her. So, okay, ladies, you're probably thinking, oh, my husband is going to want me to be his slave girl, uh, to be at his bank and call, to go make him a sandwich, to, to let him be the dictator for the family. For me to take care of his children, to cook his meals uh, while he relaxes or hangs out with the guys. I'm, I'm supposed to just let him run over me, or worse yet, beat me when I don't do what he wants me to do. Well, if that's you and your husband's view of headship in the family, that is completely warped and unbiblical. Let me ask you this. How is Christ the head of his bride? Well, we see in verse 25 through 32 what he does for his bride. Does he beat her? Does he cheat on her? Does he kick her out when she doesn't obey his will? Is he lazy or apathetic or passive to her? Does he rule her with an iron fist? No, no, no. Christ loves her and cherishes her. Look at 24. Look at verse 24. As the church submits to Christ, wives are to submit in everything to their husbands. Okay, so there's a general rule as laid out in Scripture that you obey your authorities, whether parents, governments, employers, etc., and everything, with one exception, if they command you to sin. Just like uh, the apostles, when they're going out preaching the gospel, they're committed not to preach anymore in the, uh, <clears throat> of this name, Jesus. What do they do? Well, if it's better for you to obey God or obey men, we're going we're gonna to have to preach Christ. They had to disobey authority because the authority was, causing, was commanding them to sin, not preach of Christ. So we obey the general rules, obey all authorities and everything with one exception. They sin. However, the church submits to a sinless Savior whose commands are perfect. So we don't have to worry about that as a church body. But wives, your husbands are imperfect and sinful. How do you submit to them in light of that? Am I just to do what he says without saying a word? Do I have a say in anything? Am I just a second-class citizen in this relationship? Wives, the, the church submits to her husband Christ. The church submits to his word and cherishes and adores his word. His word is perfect. Your husband's is not, yes. But even, even in your husband's imperfection, you're called to follow his lead. The church honors Christ by exalting him in the reading, the preaching uh, of his word, the ordinances of baptism and Lord's Supper, praying and singing. So also the wife is to honor her husband in her speech and action. 
Ladies, do you feel unloved by your husband? Your husband is a sinner and he will fail you continually. He will, not, he will often and every day not love you as Christ loves the church. But the command for him to love his wife is not for you to enforce. Your command is to submit to him and his leadership unless he leads you into sin and unwise choices. And that's an example you can demonstrate to him. Maybe he's immature in the faith. Maybe he's not a believer. But you demonstrate to him. And pray that the Holy Spirit, through his word, will work in your husband and sanctify him. And wives, just like the, the husband, we fail this misery every day. Wives, we, you fail this. Husbands, we fail this. But the great reminder is, we go back to verse 25. What does Christ do for us? He loves us. He cherishes us. He redeems us. He's changed our status. And he will never leave us. And he is the perfect husband. So wives can submit to their husband's loving lead as Christ lovingly leads his church. So what does this look like? Well, do you let your husband lead in the decision-making in the family? Not the decision-making, but, but the lead. Not the dictator, but the lead. So the wives are a counsel for her husband. Not the decider, not the dictator, but helping decision-making. Doesn't mean you don't have input, but do you dominate the family? Or do you speak of him to others in a kind and honorable way? Demeaning and criticizing your husband in front of others and your children is shameful. Always be encouraging to your husband. Honor him in front of others. Speak well of him. The church follows and honors our Lord Jesus. And wives will do the same for their own husbands. The question is, do you find this difficult? Maybe you have a very passive husband. He's not immoral or a tyrant. He's just passive spiritually and as a leader. Well, wives, encourage him. Don't nag him or demean him. Maybe help him get involved and build friendships with godly men that could be examples for him. Pray for him. No one said it was easy. In fact, none of Christ's commands are easy. They are, in fact, impossible to accomplish apart from his spirit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Seek his help and guidance. And follow your husband. Following your husband honors our truest beloved, Christ. All those in Christ are the bride of Christ. So maybe you are single here and wondering, what at all does this have to do with me? Well, all of us, whether married or single, for all our life must have a good theology of marriage. Married or single, we must have a good theology of marriage. For it is a crucial element of our understanding of God. Remember, this passage was written by a single man, Paul. It is a comfort to know that if you are in Christ, you are part of his church, and you have been given to him in marriage. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So this week, if you are single as part of the bride of Christ, submit your will to the husband of the church, Christ. 
Praise him. Honor him with your lips. Keep yourself in the fellowship of the bride. And for Christ's sake, do not isolate yourself from it. Immerse yourself in the body of Christ. Build up the body of Christ here. Establish good fellowship with others here. We have singles here. We have widows here. Find community here. and Don't be ashamed of being single. Paul wasn't. Singleness is another gift of God, just like marriage. You're no worse off. God has given this gift to you for your advantage. So go back and read 1 Corinthians 7, by the way. Another, another passage written by a single man inspired by the Holy Spirit. You are part of the bride of Christ and his beloved. Remember that. A Christian, if Christ so loves the church, how are you to love the church? The church is not just a, a service that, that just starts on Sunday morning and just a random bunch of people just show up. No, it is its members. A local church doesn't have members. It is its members. It is its members who regularly gather together. It's a people, a sinful people, redeemed by Christ's blood, but a people we are called to join with love. So do you seek your brother's sanctification? Do you pray for your fellow church members? You know, we we talk a, a lot about discipleship and spiritual growth as we should. But all this talk of discipleship and spiritual growth is grounded in our love for one another. You want to grow? Find a brother here to meet with regularly and to study with and to pray with. Don't wait for someone to come to you. You go to them. You see, having a strong theology of marriage, the union between Christ and the church, spurs us to be disciples who make disciples. Not just among our nuclear family, which is important, but also among our church family. And as we lock arms together as a united body, we reach out to our communities, to people that are far from God, and see what God does in adding more and more people to his family, adding more and more people to Christ's bride. So we see in Ephesians 5, through 33, that marriage was created to display the relationship of Christ and his church. So the husband, like Christ, must love his wife. And the wife, like the church, must honor her husband. So husbands, the only word for you is that you love your wife dearly. And you have a huge example to follow. Don't be concerned about your wife's submission. And wives, the only word for you is that you be submissive to your husband. You are the picture of the church of Christ. Don't try to force your husband's intention of love. And don't usurp the authority of it. But build him up, guide him, uh, and help him as he leads. So husbands, this week, pray daily for your wife to grow more and more like Jesus. For your primary, again, your primary aim in your marriage is that you help her in, your, in her sanctification process, that she grows in Christ. 
That should be your number one prayer request for her. Pray with her. Listen to her. Serve her. For Christ came not to, uh, to be served, but to serve. Talk to her about what you're learning about from Scripture, from the Lord. Make sure she's taken care of spiritually and emotionally. Be that caring husband that Christ is for his bride. Wives, this week, encourage your husband with kind words. And when he says we need to pray together, follow his lead. If you're here today as a, as a guest or a regular attender, my question for you is, do you know Christ as your beloved? Maybe you're here today and know about this man named Jesus, but you wouldn't say, is it my beloved? Uh, I don't even know him as a friend. I just know him as a historical figure. You may be asking, how does, you keep talking about Jesus as beloved, as his husband and all that stuff. How does one come to know Jesus as your beloved? Well, first of all, we have to know why he came to this earth to sacrifice himself for his beloved. Why did he have to die for this bride? Our God is a good and holy God who rewards the righteous and punishes the wicked. Here's the problem. None of us is righteous. We are all wicked. We all face eternal judgment and eternal punishment. But God sent his son, Jesus, to live the righteous life for us. To be the righteous one for us. And to die on the cross for our punishment. He rose from the grave, conquering our death. And to receive the forgiveness of sins and life with him and righteousness, you must confess your sin before him and trust in Christ and his death and resurrection alone to save you. And if you do, if you believe on him, you will be saved from your sins. You will receive forgiveness. You will be called righteous in his sight. You will be his beloved. You can call Jesus as your beloved too. So pray to him today. Pray to him right now. Say, Lord, save me. I know I'm, I'm a dreadful sinner. I know uh, because of your law, I've broken it. But Lord, I plead for your mercy in Christ. And when you do that, when you call upon him in faith, he will cover you as his beloved. So trust in him today. Marriage is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it may have come upon hard times here in the modern age, but it doesn't change what God intended it to be. Just like that one inseparable lump of Play-Doh, our marriages represent that unity, that Christ and his church serve as a foundation. So let's let our marriages and, not just that, not just our marriages, but our view of the church reflect that monumental relationship of our lives founded upon the gospel to the glory of God. And remember, you, church, are Christ's bride. Every one of you who knows Jesus, he loves you. He died for you. He is sanctifying you and will one day present you blameless. So go about your week in this good news. Let's pray. 
God, our Father, you planned our redemption and have given us to your Son. Lord Jesus, you are our Lord. You bled and died and rose for us to the glory of God the Father. Holy Spirit, you have sealed us for the day of redemption of which we look forward to as the day draws near. We get foretastes of it today. But Lord, we look forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb, of the eternal marriage that we already taste now, but we'll get to see it, taste it, feel it in all its perfection, in all its beauty. Beholding you, our beloved, forever, Christ. Almighty God, we walk in the joy of this gospel. In Jesus' name, our husband, amen.